In what we're doing now, we are getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary, we don't know the contrast organic. All right, folks, we are back. Meditations and Molotovs. I am your host, Vincent Emanuele. You are listening to the Progressive Radio Network, prn.fm, where you can find us every Monday live at 1 p.m. Central Time. This is my first show without a guest in several weeks. I had Sergio Corgan on the last few weeks to talk about, oh, God, all kinds of stuff, our time in the Marine Corps, experiences in the war in Iraq, his experiences in India and in the EU where he was studying, and then just tons and tons of information about being involved and so on. And yeah, so anyway, I'm a little frazzled today, I guess, as I am a lot of times with this program. The program is live. It's every Monday. Uh, Monday, I feel like, is both the best and the worst day to do a radio program. It's the best day because people are looking for something to listen to, especially on a day like today in the Midwest or the Northeast. It's snowing out. It's cold. We were teased by early spring, but it looks like we're going to be stuck with 40s and 30s for a while. And it's a great day for that reason. You know, people like to sit around and listen to radio. It's a bad day because it seems like everything piles up on Monday. Uh, especially in the activist world. So I know for regular folks, it's like regular folks. For people who work Monday through Friday, Friday afternoon until Monday morning, you don't think about much. You might think about something at work if you have to. But if you don't have to, you generally block it out of your mind. I think the biggest difference with activism or creative work or whatever you're doing is trying to find that time to shut off. And if you want to shut off, you know, sometimes it I think it helps to be thinking about these things constantly. Other times it's not really productive. In any case, the big project that we have now, well, let me just back up for a second here. I need to shake it off. I uh, (laughs) had had a super busy weekend. We've got good news in store for everyone. And today I had just walked into the studio two minutes before the program started. So let me catch my breath and let me um, sort of rearrange what I want to talk about and how. So about a week ago, I was driving through Michigan City, Indiana, and I saw a for rent sign out in front of a store window, you know, commercial property. It's in what they call the Midtown District. There's the Uptown District and then the Midtown District. Anyway, I saw the rent sign, saw the price for the rent, which was an awesome, awesome price, something that we could afford. And I called the landlord, and we finally have a space here in Michigan City after really, I guess you could say weeks and weeks and months and months of looking And maybe not in a methodical way, but I guess for years I've kind of been looking around for the right space and the right people to do or to to start a project like this with. 
it took my old running partner, as my dad would say, Sergio, to come back into town for me to uh, sort of finally be capable or able to open a space like this. And so it's a huge space. It's about 1,500 square feet. It's got huge vaulted ceilings, old wood floor. I'm assuming the building was probably built well over 100 years ago, probably at the beginning part of the 20th century. And it's excellent. I mean, what can I say? It's an excellent open space that we can do virtually anything with. And that's really what we aim to do with the space is anything. And it should be your space and our space. And that's what we hope to make it. You know, I had Sam Love and Brenda stop into town on their way back from uh, South Bend this weekend. And we were talking with them about non-consumerist spaces. You know, spaces that you don't have to buy something. So it's not a restaurant. It's not a cafe. Uh, it's not a coffee shop. It's not a retail store, and it surely isn't a bar or a pub. So there's no expectation when you go into a non-consumerist space. You're simply there to maybe just be there. Maybe you're there because you're looking for a place to read and you don't want to hang out at the uh, local library. Maybe you're looking for some people to talk to, and because we don't really have community spaces in northwest Indiana – that facilitate the types of political conversations that I think we should be having, this is our hope. We have a big, a big, big vision for what we want this space to be. You know, I don't want it to be Sergio and I's pet project, although in the meantime, I guess, in the, in the short term, it will be. But we've already had so many folks reach out who are interested in helping. We have folks from around the country indeed around the world, who are hoping to come into town, into our little Michigan City, Indiana, and to help us uh, with this project. As far as I know, there isn't a space like this really anywhere in LaPorte. I know there's not a space like this anywhere in LaPorte or Porter counties. I'm not sure about Lake County, though I would suggest that there probably isn't a space like this in Lake County either. And from what Sam and Thomas and some other folks have told me, the limited spaces that do exist are still sort of quasi-commercial spaces. These are art galleries and so on where people still expect to make money on a day-to-day -day basis. The great part about this building and this particular project is that Sergio and I can afford the overhead as it is. We don't need anyone's money right now. We will need people's money <laughs> because we need to you know, get rugs and probably paint portions of the place. We need to do a little bit of work. We need furniture. We need some electronic equipment, uh, nothing major. We're not going to have TVs in there, but we would like to have a nice projection screen and a projector and, you know, maybe a couple of speakers so we can have some music playing and so on. But other than that, for the time being, we're not sort of beholden to anyone. And this is really the beauty about a project like this is that, Sergio and I can invite whoever we want to speak or to organize in the space. Well, actually, let me back up. So when you walk in the space, it's, it's sort of a double French door as you walk in. There's a main door. You walk through the main door. Then there's this little hallway and you three huge storefront windows that look right onto Franklin Ave. 
and we are on the west side of Franklin Street. And I'll give out the address and all that once we have everything uh, in order. Um, but you walk in and it's a huge space. Again, it's 1,500 square foot with at least, I would say, 15 to 16 foot vaulted ceilings. And there's even a built-in bar in the back of the place. So what you have is a is an open, wide open space that I hope, what we hope to do is to create a very comfortable atmosphere when you first walk in. So aesthetically speaking, I want it to, you know, we don't have the money to sort of color coordinate and buy all the same light fixtures and all that kind of stuff. And nor really are we interested in that. I mean, we want it to be an eclectic space. We want it to be, you know, we want it to stand out. We don't want it to look like every other space that's around. So we could have some wild color combinations and different furniture that doesn't match and, you know, maybe some nice colorful Oriental rugs, stuff like this, you know, some tables and chairs to sit on, some comfortable recliners and, you know, love seats and couches. So when you walk in, it has the feel of, say, a very comfortable uh, coffee shop where you can sit down and have a cup of coffee or bring your book or bring your laptop or, you know, if you want to just chill out, just come and watch the time roll by. That's fine. We're, we're fine with all of that. Uh, that that's sort of the vision for the front part of the uh, space. For the middle part of the space, which is a huge space in the middle section, just from the front wall to the back wall is about 67 feet. And then wide, you're talking about 25 to 30 foot wide, the actual space, portions of it. In the middle space, what we hope to have is sort of an educational area. Now, how we section those areas off or if we section those areas off it sort of remains to be seen. We'll see what, how it works, what, what fits better, what other people's recommendations are. But the, the, set, the center of the space will have on a couple of the walls dry erase boards and you know we'll have folding chairs. They have a basement in the space so we can store tons of material. And you'll have an area in the center where you have desks set up sort of long folding tables until we might actually end up building some tables with our friend Tony. Uh, but he's very busy right now, and we're looking for something that is as functional as possible in the short term. And so we'll have tables and chairs there, a class size that I would I would say probably anywhere from 25 to 30 people you could give a class to in that area. And then directly behind that area towards the back of the space is a storage closet, a built-in bar, a bar that's about 13 feet long, and a bathroom, of course. And then there's a exit to the, the second exit leads you out to a garage area. And we share that space with a company, a business that is next door. But I hope that we can also use that space because this would be a great space in the nice months where you open the garage doors, let some fresh air in. And if you, you, know, you have artists that are around or printmakers or whoever's using materials or paints that you one wouldn't want to use inside, I think that garage area could be really great for artists and for creatives who uh, want to use those types of materials. So anyway, thinking about it aesthetically, you know, if you have ideas, if you are listening to this and you want to help out, if you want to lend a hand cleaning the place up, decorating the place, donating materials. We need bookshelves. Like I said, we need folding chairs. We need tables. Uh, we need all of the things that you can imagine to make a community space truly a community space. Now, that brings us to the most important and interesting part of what we want to do with the space, and that is to truly make it a cooperative community space. 
So for the time being, of course, Sergio and I will have a disproportionate sort of input into what the space looks like, what we do, uh, you know, in the coming weeks and maybe months. But in the long term, what I would like is for every group in the region uh, and uh, specifically groups in Michigan City and, and LaPorte County and Porter County and even our friends in South Bend and St. Joe County to feel as though they have a space that they can make their own. You know, so if you have a local activist organization and you don't have a place to meet and you're tired of going to a restaurant or you're tired of going to the local cafe that doesn't really appreciate you, then please come to our space. If you're a local poet, uh, if you're a teacher, if you're looking to give classes, if you're looking to give uh, art classes, if you're looking to, you know, we want to bring people in to uh, teach people Spanish as a second language. I think this is this is something that I, sort of one of the greatest mistakes I've ever made in my life is not learning a second language. And I think Spanish is the language to learn specifically in this context, in this culture right now. Uh, and even more so for me personally, because I've done a lot of work with people in Latin America and I always feel very embarrassed and ridiculous that I can't speak Spanish. And, you know, I, it's important to make people in our community feel comfortable. And we want Spanish-speaking residents to come into our space. So what does that mean? That means that we have to make everything bilingual in our space. That means we need people in our space who are bilingual to make that space more comfortable and more welcoming uh, for those who might not otherwise come in. And a lot of those co communities feel very vulnerable right now, especially in places like Northwest Indiana. You know, what businesses are there outside of churches? You know, what kind of spaces are there to accommodate their needs and their wishes? Not many. And it's the same if you think culturally in a place like Michigan City, a, a city that's almost one-third black. Yet, if you go to the cultural, so-called cultural events in the city, do you see one-third of those in attendance? Or do you think one-third of those in attendance are black? I don't think so. It never has been. And it never will be under the current model. You know, you have a lot of, I think, in some ways, well-meaning people. You have, these aren't bad people, the people who hold these events in town, the Uptown Arts District and the first Fridays, you know, and things like this. I mean, that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with those projects. But they are very limiting. And they can only provide so much. I mean, our space is, what we want is for a space, a cultural space that will get people politically active. Uh, that can help educate people. You know, we want popular education classes. So maybe once a week there's a book reading club. So you want to have a book, you know, you want to uh, do a book reading club, not some ridiculous book. I mean, let's be serious here. Like, you know, you want to do a political reading uh, for a, a book club or something like this, then cool, do it at our space. If you want to do a poetry night once a week, that's awesome. You know, I would like to have a poetry night once a week. I would like to have someone coming in to give uh, classes in Spanish. I would like to have artists coming in giving workshops. I would like to have poets coming in giving workshops. I would like to have activist groups coming in and using the space to hold their meetings, but also to give public workshops and classes. Personally, I would like to host a once-a-week documentary film showing. Uh, so every, say, every Friday at 7 p.m., I'll show a documentary film, and then we'll have a discussion afterwards. Um, I mean, we can use the space for anything. 
I mean, you want to invite a speaker to Northwest Indiana and you're looking for a radical space to host them, we want our space to be it. Uh, there's plenty of intellectuals and scholars and, and so on who come routinely to South Bend, Indiana to give speeches and so on at Notre Dame. And some of them are very good. We're not talking about sort of culturally, culturally conservative Catholics or anything like that. I mean, I'm talking about very good sort of top-notch speakers, top-notch scholars and uh, progressive activists and you know, left-wing academics and so on, they come to Notre Dame pretty regularly to give talks. Now, I don't think anyone from the community is even aware of that, and I also don't think many people from the community participate in that because if you've ever been to South Bend, Indiana, there's a huge disconnect between the local population whose median income, I want to say, oh, God, I don't know. I don't want to say anything ridiculous. Well, I do know that the that the median income for black residents in South Bend is less than $36,000 a year. So the median income for black residents in South Bend is less than $36,000 a year. Yet the median income for the students, for the families whose students go to Notre Dame is over $110,000 a year. So the kids who are going to Notre Dame, their parents' median income is $110,000 a year. For the black people who live in South Bend and for the poor white people and the poor Hispanic people who live and Latino people who live in South Bend, uh, their median income is anywhere from 36000 to, I don't know, maybe 50000 for white people who live in South Bend. Probably much less than that. So a huge disconnect. My point being, we should be bringing those people to Michigan City. They should be coming to a comfortable place. They should be coming to a radical place political space to give talks, you know, not a multi-billion dollar university with, you know, ties to all kinds of crazy things. And it should be a space where people feel comfortable walking in and out. So it doesn't have to be, you know, Sam and I were talking this weekend about the uh, mess hall that once existed in Chicago. Uh, Reminds me of also, uh, multi reminds me of a space that my friend Roberto used to have in Humboldt Park. We used to call it the compound. It was a commercial space. It was supposed to be a commercial space that was chopped up into about four different apartments or five different apartments. But it had a nice, you know, open area. It had a huge courtyard, which is why we used to call it the compound. You'd drive into Humboldt Park and you would turn off and It'd be a huge gate, you know, one of them rolling gates with barbed wire on top of it. So you like slide this 45-foot gate to the side and then you can go into this huge courtyard. I don't even know how many square, maybe 4,000 square foot the courtyard was. It was all gravel. We used to have barbecues back there and parties and fundraisers. And, you know, the space itself could have been much more functional if people wouldn't have been drinking as much as they were. It was an awesome place, and I'm, you know, I have nothing against drinking uh, per se, but there's a fine line between actually getting stuff done and just simply wanting to party uh, and listen to yourself talk. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's not a knock on the space. That's just to say that some of the people who had come in and out of the space, I think, abused it in terms of, you know, not really, uh, you know, probably not using the space in the way that it could have been used. And so, in any case, I hope that in the long term, what we can do is to have a real sustainable um, 
sort of donorship. You know, so so in any way, let me let me back this up. I'm sorry, I'm trying to read messages at the same time that I'm talking. That's so crazy about our day and age with these technology men. You can never get away with that. I mean, I set my phone aside. There's days when I just don't respond to anyone. There's constantly something beeping or buzzing or shaking, and it just gets to be too much sometimes. You can't sit back and really be yourself and think about things. So here I am doing the program, and I've got somebody trying to text me about something that I'm sure is bullshit, and it doesn't really matter right now. So anyway, back to the space. What what I would like is for uh, a, to, to set up a situation where we would have sustainable donors. So eventually what I'll put out is a Indiegogo, I think, or one of, one of those. I'm going to have to ask around and see which one works the best or whatever. We'll set up a crowdfunding thing. We'll see how much money we need. And, you know, at, at first that'll help us get off the ground and get some of the materials that we need. But in the long term, what I would like is, say, for 600 people to be giving $1 a month. You know, and that would really cover our overhead. Maybe not all of it, but it would cover a lot of it. So there's 35,000 people who live in Michigan City. The question is, can we find at least, say, 500? Let's just make it an easy number. 500 people. Could we find 500 people to give us $2 a month, which for them comes to $24 a year? See, those are the kinds of projects that are sustainable in the long term. It is not sustainable to be donating $50 to $100 every month to some organization. It's not sustainable, nor unless you have that money, nor should you be expected to donate that kind of money to any kind of an organization. But what is sustainable is when you keep the overhead very low and when you can get buy-in from the local community. So if it's just a project, if it's just Sergio and I's project and we don't bring anyone else in, well, it's pretty clear how you can see how a project like that would fail. You know, if we just want to run the whole show and if it just if it's just going to be stuff that Sergio and I are interested in and we're not going to bring anyone else in or bring in any outside perspective or anything like that, then you can expect your space to either fail or even if it doesn't fail, for it not to reach its full potential. What I think will help this space reach its full potential will be getting buy-in from the local community and making this space, uh, making people feel as though this space is their own so they can come in. And if they have a recommendation, hey, you know what, Vince, Sergio, I'd rather if you guys did it this way. Oh, cool. I never thought of that. And that's why it's so great to have other brains in the room. Now, I was frustrated the other day. We were walking around the space with some folks that we know and people were like, oh, well, you know, I'll do whatever you want. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. This <laughs> it's not about necessarily what I want. I have a very basic vision of what I want. I've been thinking about this. Sergio has been sketching out blueprints and things like that. But the point for me in bringing other people into the space now before we start really decorating it and moving it around and, and, and you know, making it the what we have in our minds um, is to get people's input. You know, the more brains in the room, the better. I mean, I love asking people questions. Okay, there's, you know, instead of four of us, what, what what are the four of us or what do the two of us think of this space? What do 20 people think of this space? And sometimes that could be a little bit too much. You bring in too many people, too many perspectives. It can get confusing if you don't have a process to sort of sift through what what it is you're interested in, what you're not interested in. But if these are people whose opinions you respect, you should bring them in and you, know, you should ask them, hey, what do you think about a space like this? 
you know, something I want to do in the coming weeks is to contact people in Chicago and other places that I know, as I mentioned in my Facebook post, who've done these kinds of projects, who've, who've participated in, who continue to build uh, community, independent community spaces. I mean, how beautiful is that, folks? You know, we're not talking about a university. We're not talking about a church. We're not talking about an NGO. We're not talking about a political party. Uh, we're not talking about a corporation. We're not talking about any of those models. We want a truly independent space, a space that's not uh, reliant on grant money, a space that's not uh, dependent on uh, the backing of millionaires or or extremely rich donors who, if they decide to stop funding our project, our project will dry up in a matter of weeks or months. No, that's not the case. Again, the beautiful, beautiful part about this particular space and project is that it is completely sustainable financially. And this is even the best part, and I didn't even mention this. We locked in the lease for two years. So no matter what happens, we have two years to make this space truly something. Now the hope is, after two years, either we continue to keep the space and hopefully it doesn't jack up the rent too much, though I think they're going to have a hard time gentrifying Michigan City. That's probably a conversation for another day, but something I've talked about pretty regularly on this program. So after two years, you know, maybe we buy the building. Maybe we sign another two-year lease. I mean, in my thinking, it takes at least five to seven years for things to pick up. So different projects, you start a project and what does it look like? You know, you can get a good sense after five or seven years. I was speaking with my friend Samantha Castro, who's been on the program, and I know many people who are listening absolutely respect uh, Samantha's input and her uh, her activism, her her brain, her spirit. She's just a wonderful person, and she's done so many interesting things, and she's brought me to a lot of interesting spaces when I am in Australia, and particularly in Melbourne. And the Friends of the Earth office in many ways, functions uh, much like the community space that I'm interested in building. Though they have a very specific sort of aim. I mean, people know, hey, this is a Friends of the Earth, o- Friends of the Earth office. But in the when you walk up to the office, first of all, the outside of the office is graffitied and painted up beautifully. I mean, the artwork is just the street art on the side of that building is awesome, and it always changes. Something else I think we should be encouraging. Uh, and on that note, a lot of my friends who used to tag shit uh, are now getting paid by art uh, uptown arts districts to uh, tag stuff again, but you know, sort of being officially commissioned to graffiti and spray paint and things they would have done anyway. So I don't know. I don't know how you know a lot of these things that are like really grassroots, radical um, forms of art. You know, they can easily be sort of commodified by these people who are in power. But, you know, if you're an artist, if you're a starving artist and somebody's going to pay you to do a piece of work, I mean, I say do it. I mean, I I don't see any reason for uh, people I know who are extremely creative to be starving all the time. Um, anyway, that being said, you know, I think that building is great. You walk up to the building, it's colorful. You can see, oh, man, look at this artwork on the side. And then you go downstairs and there is, I want to say it's locally grown produce I know it's all veg I know it's all veggies downstairs and fruit but I want to say it's locally grown produce 
that is distributed in the downstairs section of the Friends of the Earth office. So here's an awesome idea. So there needs to be more healthy places. There aren't enough healthy places to eat. There needs to be more. So you knock out that that bit. You bring people – now their office is upstairs on the second floor. But you bring people into your office space in the downstairs by providing them a different kind of service. Uh, so again, it's not necessarily a consumer space. Yes, you have to go in there. You don't have to purchase anything, but you go in there and if you want to pr- purchase produce that's great or some fruits or whatever. But it's making people more conscious about their health. It's making people more conscious about what they eat and where their food comes from. And it's allowing people in, in a very communal way, it's allowing people to break bread and to share a cup of coffee and to talk with each other about things. You know, and there's information everywhere. So it's not just you walk into your local coffee house and maybe there's a couple flyers about what's going on. No, that space is that space is what's going on. So you don't have to go in there to you can go in there and look for other uh, information about what's happening throughout Melbourne and what's happening with other activist groups in Australia. But the activism, the culture and so on, it is quite literally being created in that space. It's a beautiful thing. You can go there, get a salad, eat some food, get a cup of coffee, talk to some folks, all of whom will be either interested or sympathetic to the politics that you're espousing. And then you can walk upstairs and here's a conference room where you can have meetings and a series of desks with people who are there to answer your questions. So there's people up there doing work, the people who are either volunteering for Friends of the Earth or the people who are hired by Friends of the Earth to do work. But nonetheless, you go there for a salad and you can very well by the end of the night uh, be committing yourself to locking on to a fracking well. Uh, That's really a beautiful thing. And that's something that, you know, I would argue even in the city is a dying thing. Uh, That's for many reasons. But it's very hard to create a DIY culture when the cost of living and the taxes and so on are so high. And we had thought about creating a space like this in Chicago. And maybe that's eventually what happens. You know, if the space becomes successful or so on, maybe we could create another space in Chicago. Um, There's a lot of people we know who live in different neighborhoods who are very interested in a space like that. Um, But for the time being, you know, this is where I've lived for five years. I've been in the region since, you know, after high school, uh, well, I'm sorry, after I got home from the Marine Corps, it's kind of nice to be doing work locally again. And it's a wide, it's wide open. It's kind of the cool thing also about doing political work in Northwest Indiana. There are some factions and so on, but you're dealing with some really low level politicos. I mean, people like, you know, whoever hangs with Visklosky's crowd or what. I mean, these are low, low, low level politico people. Uh, they're not very bright. They're not very sharp. And they don't really pose much of a threat. Much different than when you go to Chicago and you have a lot of sort of ingrained sectarianism. You know, when you're in Chicago, you know, okay, these people are with this guy or these people uh, are with this group or whatever. And there's a lot of divisions that are sort of already exist. And it's tough to get past those divisions a lot of time. Here in Northwest Indiana, for better or worse, none of that really exists. It's an open, it's a, it's a blank page. It's a, it's a, 
It's an open template. We can do whatever we want out here. Uh, there's no one that's going to hold us back. There's no serious political entity that's going to put us down or oppress us or repress us. That's not going to happen. Uh, and it's also way more affordable. So for us, people who are, you know, whatever, living on little amount of money, you know, whatever it is, $35,000 a year, um, th that makes it a lot more sustainable. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm pumped. I'm talking about it in much more of an academic way than I should be. I need to probably smoke a pipe and chill out today. I've been running around like crazy, signing the lease papers, looking for cleaning material, locking on uh, times and dates for us to pick up furniture and all the rest. So, yeah, that's a little bit of an overview. And, you know, we've seen, like I said, we've seen spaces like this before exist in other places. I've seen amazing spaces in New York and really cool spaces in, in, in uh, Europe as well. Uh, amazing spaces in Australia. I've seen some great places on the West Coast. I've, I've seen uh, really interesting spaces in places like Detroit. And I've heard there are some great spaces in Buffalo, um, you know, great community centers and so on in uh, Baltimore that I've been to, but not many here, you know. And so is it a radical books? You know, how would I describe it? I want it to be, oh, I don't know. If you can imagine a radical bookstore mixed with a hipster cafe mixed with a political space that SDS would have created. Um, I don't know. That's sort of what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about taking the best elements of the DIY culture, but also the best elements of, I think, some of the counterculture that existed even before that. Um, and that's sort of what I was hinting at in, in my uh, social media post and, and trying to promote today's program which is something else I'm told I don't do enough. But, it, you know, I'm, I, I get, it gets old with the self-promoting stuff. So a lot of what I do is either radio work or, you know, I'm writing or giving talks. And all of that is very narcissistic work. You're listening to your own voice. Uh, you're writing, you know, and then you're putting your name out there. Oh, this was an article written by Vince Emanuele or whatever. Like, this is all very narcissistic work in some ways. Of course, the goal, I think, or at least the intention should be not to do it for narcissistic reasons. But I think there is a narcissistic element to all of that work. And I think it's really important if you're going to be engaged in that work to constantly keep yourself grounded with community work. So there's a lot of writers and artists and folks that I know who are out there talking about things, writing about things, creating things. But very few of them are actually connected to or grounded in a community. That's something I truly appreciate about coming from this area. And it's something I truly appreciate about being born and raised on the southeast side of Chicago. You know, that's those are salt of the earth people, salt of the earth upbringing, uh, salt of the earth folks whom I've worked with and continue to remain friends with uh, today. And none of those people let me get away with too much bullshit. So don't worry about that. There's nobody's nobody's heads getting big over here with my parents around and friends like Sergio and others who are <laughs> uh, all too willing to give me a nice slap across the side of the face if I, uh, <laughs> if I start uh, acting like a moron. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is to me, this is like the, this is the most exciting thing we could have possibly uh, gotten engaged with. I mean, the, the need for a radical political space, especially in today's day and age, 
you know, I mean, everywhere you go, I mean, we're having these meetings, you know, for instance, tomorrow night, there's a meeting in Chesterton for their group, the Rat Pack, the regional advancement team, political action committee. And, you know, we meet at Jill Sosimo's pizzeria every Tuesday night. It's fine. You know, it's, a, it's a, okay. It's a better space than most. It's wide open. It's not very crowded on a Tuesday night. It gives us some privacy. But at the same time, I mean, the, the primary goal of, of Jell Sosimo's Pizzeria is not to hold political meetings or to uh, give people a space to express themselves culturally or politically. Their primary goal is to make a profit. And we should always keep that in mind. It's not to say that small business owners are bad or anything like this, but we should remember there's this sort of weird ideologic, uh, ideological function uh, that the this this concept of um, entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism or what what would you say entrepreneurialism? I can't even think today. Anyway, it, this is glorified like you're talking about social workers, you know. So it's like small business owners. Oh, these small business owners. Hey, let me be the first to tell you folks as someone who has a ton of friends who works in the who work in the restaurant industry and as someone who has worked in the restaurant industry for many years small business owner doesn't mean jack shit. <laughs> there are corporations who are better to work for than a family-owned businesses and there are many reasons for that we can get into them on a different different program. One of the reasons is there's sort of a protocol for what happens at the corporate level. So there are people to answer to and there are people who can face consequences. Whereas as a local restaurant, family-owned restaurant that you're working at, if you don't like it, they'll tell you to get fucked and there's not much you can do about it unless you have a ton of money to hire a lawyer and I don't know too many bartenders or servers who have a ton of money to hire lawyers. So this on an aside, and maybe it's a petty note, and maybe I digress, but I have to be very clear and say that I have no particular sympathy uh, or admiration for so-called small business owners. You know, their primary goal is to make a profit, and that's fine. Everyone needs to make a living. You hope that you're doing that in as, as much of a non-exploitative way as possible, uh, but let's not overly glorify them and let's not cater to their interest as though they are the only people who exist or as though without them, the whole world's going to collapse. Now, I'm sorry. You know, there's plenty of small businesses in Michigan City. Most of them are restaurants. If they went under tomorrow, uh, the, the landscape of Michigan City wouldn't change much. That's just the reality, especially for the poorest people in Michigan City. So we want to provide a space that's much different than that. And when people think of uh, going into a space, they think, well, am I going to have to buy something? Is it going to, you know, there's been plenty of people I've been with who don't have money at the time and we're at a cafe and they're like, oh, shit, man, maybe I need to get a cup of coffee or something. None of that, none of those feelings, uh, you know, you don't have to feel any of that when you come into our space. So now the big task is to film a crowdsourcing video. So Sergio is going to be doing the filming. I'll be in the video doing the talking. Hey, here's our space, what we're trying to do. Uh, we'll have a series of perks, although I don't know what the perks could be because we're not really making something like a, a, like a product that you can sort of sell or ship overseas or anything like that. So we're going to have to be creative in terms of what the perks are. You know, like maybe if you donate X amount of money, you can have your name on the space or if you donate X amount of money, you can 
Uh, you can use the space for a weekend free of charge or yeah, I don't know. Just some, we have to think of something, you know, maybe a, you donate a hundred bucks. You get to go on a date with Sergio. Uh, he's going to kill me for saying, that. <laughs> you know, I think something like that could be fun. Um, you know, just silly stuff or, you know, creative stuff, whatever, you know, we'll be thinking about that. We'll film the video, hopefully get that up by April 1st. And I think that'd be a great day to throw it up there on April Fool's Day. Cause I think people who have known us for a long time, uh, I think we'll really, I think it's going to make them smile to know that Sergio and I have finally found a space that we can truly call our own and we can do whatever we want with it. And that's, oh, it's such a, it's such a sense of freedom, uh, in terms of, be, you know, being in this this activist world and not having to constantly depend on some major NGO or depend on some major company or, you know, some major backers or donors. It's just it's such a rare position to be in for so many years without those kinds of entities, without their funding. The vast majority of projects that I've been involved with would have fallen apart. So this is truly something special. Uh, not only is it sustainable, as I mentioned, but we hope to get as much buy-in as possible. And yeah, in the meantime, there's a bunch of work we have to do. Our friend Tony's helping us frame the back of the bar. There's a nice basement. Um, there's, you know, cleaning that we have to do, some cosmetic things, patching up some holes, just little stuff like that. So as I stare outside and look at the six inches of snow that is piling up, and it's still it's still snowing out here. So we, we must have gotten some lake effect snow. They were saying, hey, don't worry about it. If you live in LaPorte County, it's just going to be Chicago and Lake and Porter. And you guys aren't going to get anything. But it turns out it was very different than that. So anyway, I, I was feeling so motivated these last couple of weeks. And I know that the weather was bad. I was almost bipolar, internally bipolar in terms of how I was processing the weather. Because on the one hand, I'm reading articles about climate change and its connection to this crazy weather that we're having and have had for many years now. And my internal inclination to fire up the barbecue and crack a couple of cold beers and kind of enjoy the afternoon hours when it's 67 degrees outside in the middle of February. But now with the snow, I'm feeling a lot less motivated. <laughs> and I have uh, Allison and Sergio are at the space right now um, cleaning and, and sorting things out and so on. And so I'll be I'll be going hopping over to the space after I get out of the studio here, and you know there's so there'll be also be a studio space there. So we'll, we hope to also do some recording there. The acoustics in the room are quite amazing. It would be really neat to record some sounds in that room. Uh, my musician friends who've been by the room already uh, have have hinted that that's something that they would like to do. So there you have it, folks. That is what is up. On this end, and to be honest, I can't say that I've been paying attention much to the day-to-day -day news. Look, I knew the day that Trump was elected that the GOP was going to pass every bit, every form of regressive, repressive, uh, xenophobic, racist, classist, sexist legislation that you can imagine. So again, take a deep breath, take a step back. And realize what's happening. You know, stop with this naivety, with this, oh, I can't believe they're this evil. They are that evil. They will kill you, your family, your kids, and they won't think twice about it. In fact, they'll be sitting on a fucking yacht in Martha's Vineyard drinking a cocktail 
while you and your family starve to death. That's reality, folks. Get that through your heads. No one's out there looking out for you. No one cares other than us. And by us, I mean the collective us, the royal we. You know, those who are engaged, those who are active, those who have a decent heart, those who want to be engaged, but they don't know how to, but they have good morals and ethics and principles and values. Those are the people who give a shit. Otherwise, there is no God looking out for you. There is no government looking out for you. And there sure as hell ain't no corporations looking out for you. So just stop with this. I'm getting emails and phone calls and messages from all kinds of people I truly love and respect, but who should know better? So either that's on their own, they have a problem subjectively, emotionally, intellectually processing this information, or it's my fault and it's our fault collectively as a movement, as activists, because we haven't properly educated people enough so they have the proper tools to process what's happening right now. So let's focus more on the institutions of power. Let's focus on how institutions function and their continuity, regardless of who's in power, whether it's Barack Obama, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, etc. Let's focus on the continuity of these institutions and how they function, regardless of who's in power. If we're talking about systems of power and systemic oppression, institutionalized racism, and so on, then, we ha- then our critiques should be institutional and systemic in nature, but they are not. What I'm hearing and what I've heard for the last several months from the vast majority of activists who are out there is about how evil Paul Ryan and evil Donald Trump and all these individuals and what it has boiled down to at this point is a form of tabloid politics, and I have absolutely no interest in it. I have no interest in these indivisible groups. I have no interest in any of the groups that have popped up from the, that have been formed from the top down. They will die and disappear in even faster and worse death than the Obama campaign and the Bernie Sanders campaign. That much a promise. So anyone who thinks otherwise, anyone who's sitting at home going, oh, Vince, you're just being cynical. Oh, you know, I, I don't just give it some time. And I promise in four years, six years, whatever you want, you pick the date, these groups won't exist. So we've been having a lot of local meetings lately and people are showing up going, oh, what what are we supposed to do? the, The sky is falling. The sky is not falling. The sky has been falling for many decades. Donald Trump is the culmination of decades and decades and decades of institutional racism, of institutional militarism, of institutional classism. This is the result. A multi-billionaire, rapist, uh, misogynist, uh, you know, militaristic, authoritarian scumbag. This is the result. But it's a symbolic result. You know, let's focus on the things that produced the conditions that allowed Donald Trump to get elected in the first place. What would those be? U.S. empire, systemic racism, systemic sexism, patriarchy, misogyny, capitalism, an undemocratic political system, outdated educational systems. You know, those are the things that allowed Donald Trump to exist. So, you know, what am I trying to do that's differently? 
that's different so I can be more effective? I'm spending less time on social media. That's number one. Unless I'm promoting something or unless I'm sharing an article by someone I know or I think it's a good article or whatever information, I just think that the less time you spend on social media, the better. That's number one. That's the first thing I'm going to try and do. And I already have been trying to spend less and less time on that thing. You know, I've been trying to give it an hour to two hours a day, searching, posting, sharing, commenting, replying to comments and stuff like that. But still, it's an hour. If you do an hour a day, seven days a week, maybe you go a little over. That's eight hours, nine hours a week. Next thing you know, that's 40 hours a month. It's a work week worth of social. What can I do with a work week worth of time? Well, probably start knocking out more articles, which is something I need to do. I've just been a bit distracted and overwhelmed with the amount of things that are happening right now. So there's a lot of different projects. I mentioned the Regional Advancement Team Progressive Political Action Committee out of Chesterton. That's the Rat Pack, R-A-T-P-P-A-C. That's a great group. I graduated from Chesterton High School. There's a lot of people I know who are involved with that group. So I think that's something interesting that's happening. And their, their events and, and projects and campaigns will be popping up on the horizon. I don't know much about what's happening in Valpo. I know that there's a surge group. I think that's standing up against races. I, I don't know. I forget how that, what the acronym is. Nonetheless, the surge group, uh, from what I've heard, is one of the more promising groups in Valparaiso. In Laporte, I don't know much of what's happening in Michigan City. I've been involved with the Michigan City Social Justice Club, which has been, which was created and has been headed up by uh, Marisa and Amy. And both of them, I think, have done a wonderful job of bringing people together here in Michigan City community. There's a lead issue in Michigan City. Uh, Sergio is working on writing a grant with some members of the Michigan City community uh, so we could get some money to deal with uh, some of the lead issues here in Michigan City. It has been underreported and something that has almost gone virtually unreported, but it's definitely underreported. There's been a couple of articles out there. But, you know, that that group is, is, is a group that I think has a lot of promise. Um, helping uh, Raul Contreras with the, I believe it's the 9th or 10th annual uh, Participatory Democracy Conference at Indiana University Northwest in Gary, Indiana. So I'm looking forward to to helping him with that project as well. My big question for me, and oh, what poor me, what a what a terrible situation to be in right now. I know no one's going to give me any sympathy for this, but my biggest question is whether or not I should go to Cuba with an international solidarity group at the end of April till the beginning of May. Looks like a hell of a project. You're there with people from over 80 different nations. I mean, it looks like truly a once in a lifetime opportunity. Though I guess that's kind of silly to say because they do it every year, or they have done it every year, I guess, for the last 10 years or 15 years, something like this. It's with the Cuba, uh, Chicago, Cuba Solidarity Network. And I would love to go. And uh, they sent me a message, and I've been to a couple of their meetings. And my friend Howard just sent me a uh, text message last night asking if I could go. I would actually like a younger activist to go from the region. I was going to ask my friend Jonathan if he would be interested in taking my spot. I already purchased the plane ticket so I could just transfer it over to him. I would be interested in in him going. I would like to go just so I can see the situation for myself. I mean, you've read the reports from the people who are overly critical of Cuba, and you've also read the articles from the people who are overly um who overly glorify 
the situation in Cuba. So I would like to go there and get in a sense of, you know, what, where are people coming from? What, what's happening on the ground? And, you know, I think, uh, I think it would be such an amazing event, but at the same time, the question for us is when can we, uh, sort of have a grand opening. So to wrap up this conversation about our space, I'll get more back. I'll get back to politics and so on next week. But I just really wanted to talk to everybody about the space. I would like to open it on May first. If we could do the grand opening on Memorial on uh, May Day, I think that would be awesome. But May Day is a Monday, so what I've been thinking is possibly, and because Sergio and I are vets, and because I think Memorial Day is a great day to bring attention to the travesty of U.S. Empire. And I think with Donald Trump in office, we have an opportunity to re-engage the American people about issues concerning militarism, U.S. empire, U.S. foreign policy, and so on. I think people are going to be more inclined to talk about these issues. That in and of itself is a problem because we need these people to be to remain engaged and to develop their principles in such a way that they would continue to remain engaged when a Democrat is elected. So that's a challenge, but I do think there's an opening. I think people are going to be willing to talk about issues now that they weren't willing to talk about under Obama. Of course, those of us who have been engaged around those issues, uh, that is quite frustrating, but at the same time, it's up to us uh, to teach people why that is inadequate and unacceptable to only protest wars and drone strikes and spying and surveillance and so on when a Republican is in office. So all that being said, I actually think it will give us some extra time. I think we can really pack the room. I think we can make it an amazing event. And I think we can re-engage people about the issue that Sergio and I, I think, care about the most. I'll speak for myself. It is the issue that I care about the most. Uh, It is not the most important issue all of the time, but I do feel it is one of the most important, if not the most important issue that's not talked about regularly, and that is the U.S. empire. And it is connected to everything from being the largest emitter of CO2 in the world and environment. just the environmental devastation is outrageous. Now, I'd refer you to someone like Dar Jamail's work to really wrap your hand around the environmental devastation that the U.S. military inflicts on the natural world. But it's connected to economic austerity, neocolonialism, racism, sexism, and we can go on down the list. So it if I could talk Sergio into doing it on Memorial Day weekend, keep that date open. I don't know what day yet that weekend, but I'm thinking that weekend, grand opening, nice weather, Michigan City. We'll have some great speakers. Let's talk about empire. Let's talk about militarism. Let's talk about U.S. foreign policy in the Trump era, and let's expose people to what a true community space looks like, a space where you're not expected to buy shit. You just come to talk to people, learn, read a book, draw a picture, chill out, write an article, write some poetry, or just sit there and just be, listen to some music. That's awesome. That's what we're looking to create. I hope that's something that people are interested in doing. Soon enough, we will put this into action and we will find out. For now... It's been great talking to you folks. It's good to it's good to get back on and you know I'm sure I'll receive some nice messages from people and I I look forward to this uh summer and this coming year. This project really is 
Uh, it really is something that I've been looking forward to, and it's something that I've needed personally. Uh, so, yeah, well, I don't want to make it sound too hokey. Oh, I needed this personally. No, I just look. I mean, I like different projects. I like new projects, and this is, uh, like I said, it's a blank slate. It's wide open, and we can do whatever we want. So that's exciting. You can do whatever you want with this space. That's even more exciting. All right, folks, you're listening to the Progressive Radio Network. I am your host, Vince Emanuele. This is Meditations in Molotovs, where you can find us every Monday at 1 p.m. If you have any suggestions for authors, speakers, activists, artists, whoever you'd like me to interview, always feel free to send me a message. We'll talk to you next week. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary and voluntary. We don't know the contrast organically. Yeah, I